The virus is still here. It is still infecting people and it's still killing people. Our battle with COVID-19 is not over. We are now faced with protecting ourselves against several kinds of variants and subvariants that are even more contagious than COVID-19. Earlier this year, Tamak, Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce, engaged with Texas State University to survey COVID-19 hesitancy among Texas Hispanics. In this episode of the Latino Business Report, we talk with Jennifer Scarlock, Assistant Professor of Practice, Program Coordinator at Texas State University, and Vanessa de Macedo Higgins-Joyce, Associate Professor also at Texas State University, about some of the findings of their survey and research. I'd like to give a special acknowledgement and thanks to Your Shot Texas, who has worked with Tamak and other organizations across the state of Texas to educate Latino families and to provide them with the resources to get the life-saving COVID-19 vaccination. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode of the Latino Business Report. Today, we're going to be talking with Associate Professor of Practice, Jennifer Scarlock, and we also have with us Dr. Vanessa de Macedo Higgins-Joyce. How are you doing today? Very good. Doing well. Well, well, thank you for joining us. And both of you are uh, professors at Texas State University, which is San Marcos, in the heart of Central Texas, and proud to say my alma mater as well. So very excited about having you on the show. And what we're going to be talking about is the study that you recently did about COVID-19 and vaccine hesitancy amongst Latinos, Hispanics in Texas. But before we do that, Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at the university? And, uh, and then Vanessa, will have you do the same? Yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, JR, thank you so much for having us uh, with you today. Um, I am a assistant professor of practice, which means that the university hired me because I had experience in the public relations field to be able to come in and teach students from a very practical standpoint. Um, that being said, I teach a lot of the very practical classes, uh, the writing classes, the uh, public relations campaigns classes, and event planning and uh, social media classes. So um, I am really fortunate on top of that to be in charge of the PR program. Um, I work a lot with our other faculty members and students as well as our um, administrative uh, faculty to put together a really good, strong curriculum that's up to date with uh, industry standards and make sure that we're assessing how well we're doing with student learning as well. Okay. And Vanessa? Yes. Hi, JR. Thank you for having us here today. I am uh, an associate professor, which in my case means I do research and I teach. I have those uh, two responsibilities as part of my job. And I've met you before, JR, because of uh, some of the classes that I teach. So I teach Latinos in media and uh, where we had the pleasure of having you as a guest speaker. And I also teach research methods um, 
And I have taught both at the undergraduate and graduate level that class. I teach uh, women, media, and minorities, and some other classes uh, that I'm very proud of teaching. Well, yeah, and Vanessa, thank you very much. It was a great experience going back on campus after all these years. And I've been on campus not only for your classes and also with Jennifer for some of the graduate classes that she's taught so or uh, did teach during that time period. So, yes. Definitely be in Mecca. And Vanessa, you're from where originally? I'm from Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's that accent. Brazil. How long? I'm here. It's not a South Texas accent, but that's okay. And Jennifer, where do you where do you hail from originally? Central Texas. So obviously, I didn't get very far. I just love it here. That's okay. You sound perfectly normal. You put no <laughs> accent whatsoever. Y'all don't have any accent whatsoever for Central Texas. <laughs> anyway. All right, we're going to be talking about this. A lot of people, some people refer to it as a post-COVID world. It's not post-COVID. It's still here. It's still real. It's still alive. And it's going to continue for a while longer, unfortunately. And if we're looking at this late, uh, recent studies, it looks like there's a resurgence of COVID or different forms of it um, starting to erupt again. But the thing that we're going to want to talk about today is the study that you've done about vaccine hesitancy amongst Hispanics. I know in the beginning, when this whole thing broke out, the Latinos, there was that degree of he- vaccine hesitancy. Nobody wanted it. And um, the fact that Latinos are pretty much on the front line as essential workers, they're the ones who need it the most. So as we looked at that, I know that uh, Texas State University, Vanessa and Jennifer and, and a few others, you guys actually worked with Tamak, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce, who this um, show actually does this show. And um, they reached out to you and said, let's do a study and see if we can pinpoint this a little bit more. So could one of you kind of go into a little bit of an explanation of what that study was about and what your what your findings are? Sure. Well, um, I'll start off. Um, <clears throat> Tamak uh, came to um, several professors at Texas State and said, we have this, this concern, we have this problem, and we want to work with students. Uh, Texas State is a Hispanic-serving institution. Um, it's one of several in the, in the state, but we are one of the largest ones in, in the state. And uh, so Excellent. not only... Let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Hispanic serving institution. For our listeners, can you can you tell us what that means? Sure. Um, to be a Hispanic serving institution, a certain percentage, I believe it's over 30 percent of your student population has to be of, of Hispanic origin. And so um, we qualified several years ago and have continued to grow not only a very um, diverse population, but have continued to increase our Hispanic population for our students. Okay. Didn't mean to interrupt. Thank you very much for explaining. That's okay. That's okay. So um, when SMART came to us, um, we obviously uh, were very interested because uh, this is something that was really going to be looked at statewide, not just locally. Um, And uh, we looked at it from several different areas. Uh, We had uh, classes like Vanessa's classes, which were doing research methods that took a, a handle on it to look at it from doing different types of studies. Uh, I took on a PR campaigns class and we did uh, not only some uh, primary research, meaning the students actually got in there and did some informational interviews and things like that, but uh, and analyzed the data to be able to then make recommendations of how to communicate better about vaccine to the Hispanic population. But we also worked with Tamak to create a uh, study that is based off of the theory of planned behavior. 
And this theory is uh, useful in predicting behavioral intention and behavioral, I'm, I'm sorry, behavior regarding many health topics, such as getting mammograms, exercising, eating healthy, those types of things. And so okay, there are, and you, we, you, you call this what planned behavior? Yes, it's the theory of planned behavior. And okay, it's so a tried and true theory that many health communicators utilize to be able to d determine really what the hesitancies are uh, to doing things like routine doctor's appointments or healthy eating, those types of things. And so uh, there are many studies that are based off of that. And so our original questionnaire kind of was based off of that. But because COVID was such a strong um topic for the last two years, there are some additional studies that we also incorporated into our questionnaire that dealt with more uh, vaccine hesitancy. And so we utilized a, um, an additional um, questionnaire that was used in India and looked at rural communities and what type of hesitancies uh, individuals in India had and getting the, the COVID vaccine as well. So uh, we kind of put those two things together to get our questionnaire. And um, from there, we um, had some funding. So we wrote a mini grant through service learning at, the, uh, at Texas State University. And they gave us an initial uh, kind of pilot money to start and to mock you know, uh, provided some additional funding for us to recruit anonymously uh, Hispanics in Texas to take this questionnaire. And so okay. in February and March, we we conducted a study. Now, you did the, the what you did in India. Was that primarily for baseline information? Because I don't foresee a lot of Latinos hanging out in India. Not so much as <laughs> looking at what was happening with Hispanics in India, but what types of hesitancies there were uh, from other rural type communities and what um, on top of the theory of planned behavior, it's specifically with COVID vaccines, what type of hesitancies or um, I'm trying to think of what we called it. Um, barriers to to the barriers to getting yeah. it, right? Barriers. Okay. And I, so, sorry. And, and, no, go ahead. I then. think uh, you know the 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 problem uh, of vaccine hesitancy. While we were looking at from a very local standpoint, Latinos in Texas, right? So really local here, a specific community that was very important to look at because of all the consequences uh, of not taking the vaccine or consequences of this uh, behavior. But uh, the, the issue is a global one, right? The pandemic uh, is a global pandemic. And um, so there were a lot of interesting studies. Um, we even have some questions that kind of stem from the uh, World Health Organization because the problem really um, was we were looking at it very locally, but the problem was global. Okay, so you basically used, you did some global research or you did some research and baseline information on a global scale to see patterns and everything and then kind of based what you did so you didn't have to recreate the wheel, I would assume. And it then also it kind of gives, gives us a basis to, to compare and contrast with the results as well. It's kind of looking to see how different things are as well uh, when you're analyzing 
the, the data between different ethnicities or cultures, those types of things as well. Okay. Well, I'm kind of curious. Let's just jump into it. What, what were some of your findings? Um, I think it was really pretty interesting. And uh, Vanessa was our statistician on this. And so uh, she analyzed uh, our data for us um, and really came up with some key findings. So, Vanessa, did you want to talk a little bit about the the key findings? Sure. Uh, So some of the kind of more, I guess, the key findings, the more... um, relevant information here that we were looking, that we found was first that women were more hesitant than men, right? So from the groups, the the group that we um, analyzed uh, research, which were Latinos in Texas that had not been vaccinated, women were more likely to not want to um, take the vaccine uh, um, at the, the foreseeable future. And so that has a lot of um, relevance with our particular group that we study, right? So we have a lot of background information that, you know, that... Well, when you, when you said Latinas were, were hesitant to take the, the vaccine, what, why? I mean, was there a reason? I mean... I mean, as we all know, or at least if you're Latino, I mean, it's the women who kind of control the household period. That's so. it. You know, right, JR. So that's exactly it. So that's why this finding is so important. Um, it's the decision-making power of Latinas in the household and that Latinas are more hesitant. So some of the, the reasons then are really a lack of trust in um, the vaccine providers, lack of trust in the um, efficacy of the vaccine itself and a whole lot of misinformation. So, or lack of information uh, as was put there in the, in the research. So uh, a lot of negative feelings, a lot of uh, lack of trust and a lot of lack of information. Okay. When we're talking about the Latino community, we're talking a very large community. We're talking 22 different countries of origin. We're talking, <clears throat> at least in Texas, I mean, over, over, no, no, it's true. We're in 2022. Over half the population in Texas is Hispanic and Hispanic are going to be Hispanics and Latinos are going to be your essential workers or out on the front line. But yet the vaccination, vaccination rate, the hesitancy. Now, Jennifer, you can probably attest to this a little bit more. The vaccination rate amongst Hispanics is actually not that bad or as it was in the beginning. It's moving up there, but we still have a ways to go. Can you address that a little bit? Sure. So when we started the study in October, it was actually like in the 40% range that uh, we were looking at vaccination rates. Uh, currently, I just looked at it today. 65% of Hispanics in Texas have at least gotten one dose of the COVID vaccine. Um, and uh, it is it continues to grow. So uh, some things are, are happening right. Uh, but in particular, what was kind of interesting about this study is we did it in February and March of 2022 after that initial push of getting people vaccinated. And so the, the, really the respondents that we got information from are not early adopters of a vaccine. They are late adopters or non adopters of the vaccine. So a lot of the secondary research that we had provided to us, um, about gender and, 
ways to really hit the community type theme, trying to get vaccinations out there, how you're helping your family, those types of things um, that showed us, you know, ways of combating vaccine hesitancy in this population uh, didn't necessarily jive with what our results were because we're looking at this this one population now that most 65% are vaccinated. It's this other 35% that we're looking at. And they were very, they had very strong opinions in the, the survey results that they did not want to get uh, vaccinated. Almost half of them said it was 49% strong, uh, expressed strong disagreement with getting the vaccine before December, 2022. Um, and the majority of them were women. And the secondary research tells us that women, as you said, make a lot of the healthcare decisions in this population. So what we wanted to find out were, you know, what are the obstacles? What, what's keeping people from getting it? And as Vanessa said, the majority of it dealt with not trusting the vaccine providers, not trusting the information about the vaccine, not knowing what the adverse side effects could be or would be getting them, uh, not trusting uh, news sources, uh, we also had other obstacles on there about, you know, is it political? Is it uh, dealing with uh, getting it from a trusted source like um, your church, your priest, uh, your family member, those types of things? Do they need gas money? Do they need uh, money to uh, for child care? Those types of obstacles as well. But the biggest ones, uh, the top five that we saw were really about mistrust and uh, distrust about the information about the vaccines and the side effects that that could happen. Okay. Now, I know in the beginning, when the whole, this whole thing started, there was a lot of barriers. It was language barriers, access, accessibility. Where can you go to get it? Can I take time off of work? Um, but those, to your state, are no longer the factors. It's just this this hesitant factor what you, what you outlined. Now, just, just to make clear, as we talk about the Latino community, it's a huge community. Your particular study focused on Latinos between what, 18 and 25? No, they focused, we opened it up. At first we were going to just focus on 18 to 25 year olds. And then we realized that this was um, bigger than that. And so we opened up uh, before we ever did it, we decided to open up the age range. And so we did 18 to, to 75 year olds. Okay. So this is a broader range of what you're finding. Mm -hmm. Now it, <clears throat> on one hand, it's great that so many Hispanics have taken the vaccine, but if we're still talking about 35% who haven't, I mean, that in itself could cause a whole new insurgence of the epidemic of not having the vaccine. Jennifer or Vanessa, do you see, based on the research that you've completed, what do you suggest or what steps should be taken by people to try to encourage vaccinations? Uh, can I take a stab at that? Um, take a shot. <laughs> uh, it, take a shot. <laughs> take a shot. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough question, right? Because uh, how do you uh, – it's not access um, because there is – Availability is, is mistrust. Um, I think that uh, now to make this very local, right? It's a global issue, but I believe that um, this particular group um, should receive a, a very culturally relevant 
um, campaign um, from um, organizations that organizations and from government really being culturally sensitive here, right? So the the reason for this uh, distrust may be historical. The reason for this distrust may be very recent with all this um, uh, way different waves of disinformation and right. All, right. That are fake, the fake news, the fake news out which there, which is very recent or more recent or more salient now, right? So you have both. Um, you have some historical reason for lack of trust in campaigns, uh, uh, vaccination campaigns, but you also have some very recent, um, yeah, um, fake news. Can- fake news campaign. So I think it's where that information is coming from. So it really needs to be coming from groups that have established good rapport with Latinos in Texas. It has to be clear. Um, it has to be positive, right, Jennifer? And maybe you have something to say about that, because I think there is a, a, a reason why it has to be positive and not fear-mongering. Sure. Uh, one of the things that we asked in the in the survey was, you know, uh, please tell us the first three words you think of when you think of the coronavirus. And then we also asked, tell us the first three words that you think of when you think of the coronavirus vaccine. And uh, the responses that we got were very uh, kind of negative fatigue, uh, if I had to put a theme to it, it would be negative uh, kind of feelings and fatigue to it. Um, one of the things that we did were, was we put word clouds together and some of the biggest words that we had about the virus were death, mask, sick, sickness, those types of things. When we asked about the vaccine, state, control, scared, government, trust, those types of things came up. And so we realized that uh, to really reach this group, first of all, we need to focus on women. Um, it needs to be cultural, culturally sensitive, but we need to reach out to women because, uh, A, secondary research shows that they have a lot of control in the family dynamic on healthcare decisions. Second of all, um, they were more hesitant to get the vaccine. So we know that we have a bigger barrier to cross with them to get them to get the vaccine. You say that the women, um, Hispanic women are more hesitant. Is there, did you discover any reasons why that hesitancy? Um, it was uh, the reasons why were the mistrust, the mistrust and in the information. So it's the what you said, uh, trying to... What, one of the things we also asked them was like where they got their information from. And so a lot of the information was coming from social media and was coming from cable TV. And so those two sources allow for a lot okay. of opinion to be put into them. So we realized that we obviously the campaign needs to be focused in those areas. So you would take a lot of um traditional PR uh, tactics to do press releases and try and combat this misinformation that was out there. But we also need to focus on social media as well, because that's where a lot of the information is being given. Um, One of the things uh, historically that this population has been able to really gain uh, 
and combat vaccine hesitancy with is really focusing on that people are doing this to protect their family and to protect uh, their community. And so those things need to be taken into consideration as well, but it's, it's really combating that misinformation about what the vaccine is and what the side effects are and getting the information that they feel comfortable from a source, like Vanessa was saying, that they feel comfortable getting it from and they trust. So I would even take a step further and say it, it needs to not only be from organizations, but this needs to be a grassroots influencer, local influencer campaign to where we are really recruiting people that speak speak the message, speak the language, speak um, from a place from the heart. It's not coming from a governmental entity. It's not coming from... Um, you know, something that's institutionalized. This is coming from somebody in in your community that you trust. Somebody who speaks Latino, right? <laughs> Understands the culture <laughs> and everything else. Now, I, I've, I've, I've looked at your executive summary and I've, I've kind of glanced over it. And just tell me if I'm right on this. So a lot of the reasons women are not taking or getting vaccinated or getting their families vaccinated is because they're unsure of What's going to happen after they take the vaccine? The, the trustworthy, you know, what's going to happen? What are the side effects? What, what's going to happen? But then on the other hand, you see almost the equal amount of women that are have taken the vaccine and are encouraged their families to take the vaccine because they want them to be safe and healthy. But the women who don't want it want to keep their family safe and healthy as well. So they're not taking it. So it's like the same reasoning, but it just kind of split down a 65, 35% that's frustrating. I mean, it's it's the same logic, but your conclusions, from what I'm gathering, it, the focus is going to be the matrix, the women in the families. So if we focus in on that, and I know, and a lot of Latino families are multi multi generational. Is it one? Do we focus in on the head? Do we focus in on just all the women and just hope they get together and make the decision for us guys to what we should do? Because if you grew up in a Latino family, which uh, <laughs> Obviously, if you're Latino, you did. Um, yeah, dad's tough. He runs the house. But dad, you know, kid, I learned that dad wears the pants in the family, but mom tells him what color to put on every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think what you said is is, you know, pretty spot on. I think one thing that would really help with campaigns is some storytelling to get the, these authentic COVID stories out there that are coming from their communities. So not just, again, this needs to be grassroots. So especially if we're focused in rural Texas communities that have high unvaccinated um, populations, we need to find people that can help us tell their, their COVID stories. And whether it's, you know, unfortunately losing somebody in their family, or it's getting the vaccine and being able to say, hey, I'm okay, or it's having somebody uh, get on there and kind of uh, take photos while they're getting the vaccine and put it out there on social media. Those types of stories need to be told because the more that they see people that they can uh, see their self reflected in and relate to the more likely they, they, they are going to be to, to get it. Um, they need and people they can identify with people they can absolutely. identify with and, and trust. Okay. Can I make it makes, back? Makes so, sense. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah it's, it's a risk 
uh, benefit gain, right? So it's a calculation of how much risk the vaccine would take versus what is the benefit um, that you might take with it. And um, and I think in uh, in that is a big issue everywhere, right? Um, but not, and I uh, I absolutely agree with Jennifer that uh, it is seeing those risks with people who look like uh, Latinos, people who sound Latino or who speak Latino, like you said, and seeing the benefits also. There's, uh, I think. Uh, a very need to focus on that positive, the benefit of it for um, the community and um, and then touching on the cultural values of, of a family and um, of, of, of a close-knit community as well. So, I, I yeah, it's, it's focusing on more even in the positive aspects of it. And for those folks that may not understand, when I say speak Latino, I'm not talking about Spanish. I mean, you can speak Spanish and not speak Latino. I mean, that's a whole different level. So, um, ladies, we're almost out of time. Um, I want to thank you, but and, and correct me if I'm wrong, just kind of a to recap, we're looking at research was done, study is done. There's still a certain degree of hesitancy out there, much at least 35% of Hispanics. And that, from your studies, your findings, you say, you're saying that the um, – Women of the household should be the focus. Keep it positive. Use social media and other forms and find people that can tell stories from their perspective and people that they trust and respect, and that should help get them over the top. Absolutely. I mean, that would be our recommendation moving forward and really making sure that it is something that speaks to Hispanics in Texas, realizing that that in and of itself is a very diverse uh, population, but that it needs to be very authentic to them. And when you say diverse, definitely, like I said earlier, we got about 22 different countries of origin. I mean, in Texas, you have, you have Mexican Americans, you have Botricanos, you have Colombians, you have Argentinians, you have Cubans, you have, I mean, just from everywhere. It's a very eclectic group. I mean, it's not a monolithic community, even though some people think that we are, we're not. I mean, it's just, all over the place. Um, and thank you both for, for taking time to be on this. And I really am I'm proud of the fact that uh, uh, Texas State University has come along so far in so many years. I mean, when I was attending, it wasn't Texas State. It was Southwest Texas State University. And a story I do like to tell, when I, when I enrolled in Southwest Texas State University as a student many years ago, I think I increased the Latino population by at least 33% because there was me, the cafeteria ladies and the grounds workers, you know, and that was about it. I mean, there wasn't a Hispanic. You could throw, a, I mean, they weren't even there. So now that it's a Hispanic serving institution, very proud of that fact. And there's a lot of things happening at Texas State University. And both of you are doing great jobs. I've, I've been to your classes. I've, I've uh, worked with some of your students and very proud of the fact that you're actually producing some well-educated young men and women coming out of that institution of higher learning. Before we go, um, Vanessa, Jennifer, anything you'd like to, to close with or anything you'd like to say? Yes, I'm, I'm getting thumbs. I'm, I'm seeing Vanessa getting excited. Go yeah. ahead, Vanessa. So I think that one, one important thing that this t- study tells me personally is people can think, oh, what, what, what is, why should we target uh, hesitant Latinos now, right? When it's so available and, uh, you know, can we change their hearts? 
Um, I think that the study shows a really important thing that is that this group is also um, hesitant or concerned about vaccinations in general and including for their kids. So I think if this is not an issue that is tackled now, we're going to be seeing um, some further issues along uh, our uh, recent, uh, more, oh, along okay, the line okay, okay, here. Okay, okay. So, okay, so that's key. That's key. So you're talking about this study is not necessarily hesitancy towards the COVID vaccination, just hesitancy towards vaccinations, period. Yeah, we we asked about COVID vaccination specifically, but then we also opened it up in general, uh, including vaccines in general for kids. And we do see that there is a high number um, that is is uh, that this hesitancy of the COVID vaccine kind of like is is shifting the dynamics or the thought process into getting their kids vaccinated. So, well, I no, I remember when I was a kid and when I was little, I'm sure a lot of some of the listeners are old enough to remember when you're in elementary school, they just lined you up like cattle. And there was that, that vaccination gun that they stuck in your arm that we all have scars on our arms still all years later. I mean, I mean, vaccinations are important. I mean, it, it just frustrates me to see the level of hesitancy about vaccinations. But I think what you hit on, Vanessa, is very key in that these folks aren't necessarily opposed to the COVID vaccination, but just vaccinations in general because of either fears or uncertainties or political preferences, whatever the case may be. Is, is, is that is that correct? Did I hear yeah, you? Yeah, right? there, there is a, a group within this group, right, that is mm-hmm. showing some hesitancy towards the vaccine in general. So I I really believe that, you know, if you think about why should we still try to get this group that had all the chances to get vaccinated now, why should we try to get Latinos vaccinated still? Well, yes, for COVID reasons, but also this uh, misinformation and disinformation needs to be addressed for future vaccination campaigns. And I think it's important to realize that we're not talking about the vaccination of a community per se, just for that community, because since they're essential workers and they're out there and over 50 percent of the state is Hispanic, I mean, this can spread. I mean, 35 percent is a significant number out of the population. And if this thing isn't if this uh, COVID isn't thwarted in the next year or two, I mean, it's just going to continue and spread. And it's, it's like an, a way of life for us now, but there's still a way to defeat it if people will jump up and do something about it. Okay, I'm, I'm getting on the soapbox. Jennifer, comment. Yeah, I would just say and, and comment to this uh, that um, I think we are on the precipice of not necessarily stopping COVID. I think we've already seen that two years into this two and a half years, it's it's probably going to be something that we live in, whether it be like a flu fight or something along those lines. That's the direction we kind of need to take some of these campaigns is to uh, combat the misinformation so that we can normalize this into a regular vaccination type event or events that we're seeing. Um, because more than likely, we have these pockets, not just in Hispanics, but in every um, ethnicity um, and race that are hesitant to get it. And so we're going to have these populations that have a uh, different um, variants of this 
virus still here. And so that's why the vaccine is still so important and people to get it because even if you've been vaccinated, you're probably going to have a yearly booster or something like that moving forward in the future. And just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you're not going to get it. Right. Hopefully it'll reduce your chances, your illness and God forbid hospitalization or death. I mean, the numbers have come down, but I'm seeing surgeons and spikes again. But uh, to your good point, Jennifer, I mean, it's something that's not going to go away. So it's going to almost be like a new normal that we're going to have to adjust to. And that normalization may mean getting regular boosters. I know I've been, as soon as I was eligible, I got my vaccination. I got the booster. I changed my name. I got a second booster. I mean, I'm, I'm getting, <laughs> just load me up. I'm not afraid of it. Load me up, man. I just do not want to go on a ventilator or get sick. And um, yeah. I also realize that people, ah, it's not that big of a deal, JR, you're fine. But there's also that long haul. There's no, there's still a lot of people not knowing what's going to be going on. I've talked to some folks that are going, hey, I'm still kind of fuzzy in the brain or I'm not thinking clearly or I have these other things. So we still don't know what the total side effects of COVID are going to be on the long term in people's health and their lives. And uh, I mean, COVID just scares the hell out of me. I'm tell you, I'll be real honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pretty resilient to anything and I'll try anything and um, I don't even get a flu shot because it made no sense of injection injecting a a, a virus into me to prevent a virus but it, with COVID it's not that you're not injecting COVID into somebody it's a preventative measure um, anyway we could go on but Jennifer let me let me ask you this one question before we go if I heard you correctly you're saying that this study that you've that you have completed may be helpful for other type of purposes other than COVID because it's identifying a certain hesitancy and why? Absolutely. So as Vanessa said, that we not only ask questions specifically about um, the coronavirus and uh, the COVID vaccines, but we also asked questions in general using the theory of planned behavior about vaccinations in general in this population. Now we do need to keep in mind that the uh, population that we surveyed uh, was unvaccinated, currently unvaccinated uh, Hispanics in Texas. So to really get a good idea of that, we would probably need to open that up to all Hispanics in Texas, whether they were vaccinated or not. Um, And that's a, a potential study that we could look at in the future. But what we did find were significant findings to let us know that this may be a theme that we see in the future. Okay, good to know. Good to know. So your the study was focused on uh, Hispanics that were not vaccinated. Because yeah. if you would have interviewed me, I would have given you a different set of answers, I guarantee you. Anyway, all right. Um, once again, thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for the good work you're doing over there at Texas State University. And uh, hopefully on this uh, the podcast notes, with y'all's permission, I may put a link to uh, to your executive summary so people can look at. We'll also uh, provide some other information. Folks, you've been listening to the Latino Business Report. I'm your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And we've been talking to two very learned individuals from Texas State University. And uh, thank you for what you're doing. And if you like what you've heard, give us a like, listen to us. You can listen to this podcast right here where you're listening to us or anywhere podcasts are played. This is J.R. Gonzalez, and you've been listening to the Latino Business Report. And we'll see you next time. 